From Phil's VTech comes a weekly digital series where he shares his insights, concepts, and findings learned during his 15-year journey of working in the entertainment industry. Each lesson offers you a roadmap to overcome the challenges that all artists face on the path to success. Welcome to Phil's VTech Podcast. Hello, I'm Phil Sweet Tech 360 Creative Coach, and today I am joined uh, by one of my very dear friends, Alex Worley. Now, that is not the reason she is on this show. It's because she has a whole slew of credentials. Um, I mean, where do I begin? You can fill in the gaps for me, but um, she's an on-camera reporter. That's how she got, got her start. I knew her from the AfterBuzz days, and she was also Miss Wisconsin, then in a twist of fate, she ended up hosting the Miss USA uh, pageant in 2015. And then from there, you know, while uh, from my perspective, while you did a lot of like uh, news and gossip entertainment type reporting, then you kind of shifted gears more into the entrepreneurial side of things, uh, doing things like business rock stars. And now you're doing uh, Empower Easta, which is uh, your own brand and things like that. And you're certainly involved in a slew of other things, but that would be your focus primarily right now, correct? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, well, first of all, thank you for having me on your show. This is so fun. You have really been a part of my journey for a while. I remember when we first met, it was the first time I was considering moving out to LA. I was a reporter in Rockford, Illinois at the time. It was my first full-time TV job. And of course I had, you know, big dreams and hopes of the big city of LA and making it as a TV host there. But uh, that eventually happened, but you were, you know, you knew me before that even did and were a part of that journey. So it's, it's cool when things come full circle and now I'm on your show, but, but yeah, to answer your question about where I'm at today, I'm a content creator and I have my own brand Empowerista. And really the reason why I, ended up here is because media, as you know, I mean, you're an example of this, it has changed so much where we used to have to be hired by a television network in order to have a platform to tell a story and to be on camera. But thanks to social media, we can all have our own platforms. And sometimes those platforms, I mean, my husband, Charlie, is a great example of how like his platform is bigger than a lot of local TV stations are because the there's no limit on how big you can build your audience and speak to them directly. There's no barrier between you and an audience now. So I chose to go that route and to pivot and to create my own platform because it comes with so much more freedom. We can tell the stories that we want to tell when we own the platform. And so for me, you're absolutely right. I wanted to let's talk about death and destruction and news. And then I pivoted at the other extreme where I was talking about a lot of celebrity gossip and that didn't feel fulfilling either. So I wanted to tell stories that I found fulfilling and that others would find fulfilling too. And those are around women empowerment and entrepreneurship as well. So I do, in addition to having Empowerista where I create my own content both on my podcast and I create videos for social media. I help other female entrepreneurs do the same. I help them build their own platforms as well. Yeah. Wonderful. And I think a lot of, you know, we're aligned in kind of our overall idea of helping people and wanting to help people. And I I think for me, a lot of times that I point to 
uh, a lot of aspiring content creators, you know, they could look at someone like you um, or somebody else and they're, they're seeing like you at the point you're at now. And I think that's a, I think that's great in terms of aspiration, but it can be detrimental in the, to the terms of the steps because for me, uh, let me know if, if you feel different, but I feel like you always had a lot of patience in how you went, went about things. Like, so you mentioned, you know, you were in Illinois and wanted to get to LA, but even though that was a pursuit, you never like rushed it to just make it happen. And I don't know if like you, go ahead. Totally. No, I mean, trust me, if I could have rushed it, I would have. I mean, we, we all, there is always this gap between where we are and where we want to be. And I have by no means arrived. I don't think we ever arrive. There's always a gap between where we are and where we want to be. And I think the trick is to see that as exciting and to let that motivate you and, and just know that that's how it's always going to be. It's not like once I get to this point or this this point I'm going to be satisfied and I'm all of you know all of a sudden I'm going to be happy you have to find your happiness and your contentment where you are while striving to get to the next level not because once you get there again you're going to be happy or all of a sudden you're going to be worthy but because it's fun it's part of the journey it's part of being human and and challenging ourselves so yeah i, I as much as i would have loved to rush to get there there is no fast way to build your career. You have to put in the work and you have to be patient in order to do that. And you're absolutely right that not everybody is willing to do that. I think you, it's great to have a dream, but you also have to be okay with the reality that comes with that dream. So you don't go straight to a national TV show. You have to work your way up and there are different ways to do that. In my case, I started in a small local TV market and it was on the heels of being Miss Wisconsin in 2009 and it was during the height of the recession and I couldn't even get hired at first. It took about a year and a half after my year was over of being Miss Wisconsin that I finally landed that first TV job and in a sense you know, don't get me wrong. I was so grateful for that job, but it is humbling to go from, you know, being Miss Wisconsin and then living in this small city and having to pay my dues and cut my teeth. And I was so green. So you're looking back at those videos. I was not impressive at all on camera, but it takes humbling yourself and understanding what it takes to get to where you want to go. And it's really wise to ask yourself when you're starting a journey, are you willing to take that journey? Um, because not everybody is, and not everybody's meant to, but the more you can understand what that journey is like, and if it feels like it's a good fit, um, then, then be willing to take it and know that that sometimes comes with being humble and being patient. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and especially now I forget how you put it, you put it so eloquently, but like, um, you know, you have to be accepting of the realities, I think sort of how you said it. And certainly there's no better time that we could talk about that than now when we're in quarantine, like we all have to accept the reality, you know, uh, just quick example for me, like I was, you know, hypothetically supposed to be in the south of France for the Cannes Film Festival 
with a movie of mine. You know, I can, you know, I imagine Charlie had a lot of stuff lined up. Uh, probably a lot of the businesses that you have been coaching had ideas of their own. So how do you, you know, talk about it from that perspective? Cause this is like the ultimate wake up check of like, we are not in control except for what we do. Oh, totally. And why you brought that up? Cause I feel like I'm the thick of that right now. Um, I actually was just recording a podcast episode on this. So by the time this airs, you can probably check out the episode I'm referring to on the Empower Race podcast. But yeah, it's, you know, when things are moving along and everything feels in control, like it did right before COVID-19 happened, you don't really question anything, right? It's like things just feel like they're flowing, income's good, you know, every, everything's good. I don't have to question anything. And then something like COVID-19 happens and it won't be the last time something like this happens in all of our lives where things just get shut up and you are forced to take a step back and and say whoa okay my circumstances change now what do I want to do things are uncertain and for me it's really has been this mixed bag between being scary <laughs> and also exciting for all the potential possibilities that there are So yeah, I mean, I definitely have been impacted by this time. Client work is uh, in some cases paused. Um, I'm finding myself with more time for many reasons in just including little things. Like I don't have to travel anywhere, you know, I'm like stuck at home. So I know that's not the case for everybody, but a lot of us are finding ourselves with more time. And so we're really having to dig a little bit deeper and ask ourselves, okay, how do I want to fill that time? How do I want to pivot? We're asking ourselves questions that we haven't had to ask ourselves because we were just on autopilot in some cases leading up to this. Um, So I think the key is to see it as exciting and to see it as an opportunity. And that's how I'm choosing to see it. So for example, I uh, spent a lot of my time doing one-on-one client work, either producing content for my bigger clients or doing one-on-one coaching with solopreneurs and helping teach them how to create their own content. And because of not being able to be in person with people and because of some budget cuts, I have felt inspired to create a new offering that is digital, that works in this time, and is a lower price point. So it's accessible for people who are dealing with a financial cutback. So that's what inspired me to, and I know I shared this with you prior to us recording, I have written an ebook confidently on camera, how to create your first video series. And that's where that was born from is, is choosing to see this as an opportunity and focusing on the possibilities and asking myself, okay, what's no longer going to work in this season, but what can, so, okay, maybe I can't coach clients as much one-on-one on how to create a video series, but I already have that program. I already have that content. So I'm going to repackage it into a book and it's going to be a lower price point and therefore more people are going to be able to afford it. And then I'm going to be able to make a bigger impact 
today? You know, why wait until the next season when I can be on video shoots again? I can make an impact today. So I think for all of us, whatever um, it is that you care about, whether it's something you care about professionally or something you care about personally, ask yourself, what do you care about? And most likely it's this season has changed your relationship to what you care about or what's possible for you to do in relation to what you care about. But ask yourself, how can you still do that thing today, even if it has, even if it has to take a different shape or form? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, I also have to applaud you. A, I love the title confidently on camera. B, <laughs> the fact that you got that domain. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> I think that's a, that's, that's a huge deal. So that, that's, where, um, that's where I should push people, confidentlyoncamera.com. Yes, yes, that's where you can get it. And um, it will be available at a discount until June 5th. I don't know when this goes live, but until June 5th, it's available at a discount for $24.99. And then after that, it will be $29.99. Got it. All right. Well, um, well, this will go up this week, Saturday meeting. Oh, perfect. So. And I'll have plenty of time. Yes, yes, indeed. Um, to that point, um, you know, as far as like, so, you know, I, my goal is to help, uh, again, content creators. Um, so no, no different than what you're kind of going after, although perhaps, you know, yours is more an emphasis with entrepreneurship, but to that point, like I, I look at, um, you know, if you're an actor, like even just doing like monologues on, on Instagram or whatever it may be, right. Just like putting stuff out there. Um, I don't know. Can, can you speak to how people should be framing the content that they're creating right now? Like if they were doing steady things and you know, it could be an actor, it could be a musician, like whatever it may be, how would you advise them to approach content creation right now? Definitely. So I think you always want to start with what is your goal? Mm-hmm. So let's say that you are an actor and you want to demonstrate your acting abilities. Well, the best way to do that would be to act on camera, right? It sounds so simple, but sometimes we don't think about the heart of what it is that we're wanting to do. Um, Same with being a musician. For my audience, and there's overlap with yours, so it's worth mentioning, for entrepreneurs, a lot of times it's, I want to sell this coaching program. Let's say that they have a coaching program that's related to health, where they have an eight-week program to lose 10 pounds. Of course, I'm just making this up, but it'll be good for the sake of example. So let's say they have this eight-week program. They may want to create content that um, follows each step throughout the eight weeks. So I'm a big fan of reverse engineering and asking yourself, what's the end outcome that you're hoping to achieve? And then what kind of content makes sense to make in order to achieve that? And and then there's little things you can ask yourself, like how will you measure success? Because success isn't measured the same for everybody. So for example, my husband is, I know he's been on your show, you're aware of him, but for listeners, 
a comedian, an influencer who makes videos that go viral. It makes sense for him to measure success by a metric like how many views he gets, right? Because his goal is to make as many people laugh as possible. It's to fill seats at shows when he can have shows when we're not in lockdown. And so it makes sense for him to measure success by how many views he gets. But for somebody like a coach to go back to that example. Um, their success may not be measured in how many views. It may be how many leads they get, in which case the goal is not to reach as many people as possible. It's to reach the right people, even if that means less people. So the metric that they want to be paying attention to is not how many views they get. It might be how many website clicks that they get, how many consultation signups they get. Um, you know, for a blogger, for an influencer, maybe they're working on engagement and therefore they're going to measure success by how many comments they get. So anyways, I think my, my point in this is a lot of times we're measuring our success by what other people are doing or like vanity metrics like followers or views but at the end of the day you have to be really really clear how do you measure success and then what's going to be the content that's going to best help you achieve that metric absolutely and so by no means is this like me pushing against you or like trying to derail anything but like, no. what, what do you have like as far as you know i think that's all wonderful but there's so many people I meet, like they would go down that rabbit hole and then just overanalyze everything. And it would be like, it would be five years before they even put out one piece of content. So mm -hmm. how, do you, how do you have a balancing act of like, yeah, purpose, have a goal, but at the same time, don't like waste your life overanalyzing, like do something yeah. with it. No, I love that you said that for sure, because analysis paralysis is a real thing. Um, there's a book called The Lean Startup. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it talks about minimum viable product. And they're mostly talking about in relation to a startup, how do you get started as quickly as possible, but it very much so is applicable to creating content. You want to, yes, be mindful of your big picture, but that doesn't mean to then sit around for days, weeks, or months thinking about that big picture. Once you're clear on what the big picture is, you have to take action and you can take action quickly and simply. It's better to start simple and simply start. So that means when it comes to content, it don't be a perfectionist. And this is really, really hard for a lot of people, including myself. Um, it's really important to not overthink, not being, not be a perfectionist. This really takes putting other people's opinions aside and coming up with what this book would call your minimum viable product. So that's basically what is the iteration of your content. So let's say it's a video. What's the um, simplest iteration of a video that takes the least amount of time and budget to get out into the world, aka published, so you can start getting feedback. Because the thing with any kind of content, especially videos, is you will 
very quickly, once it's published, know, okay, did that resonate with my audience or not? Did I get the views? Did I get the comments? Did I get the website traffic? Whatever metric you are using to measure success. And sometimes the answer is going to be yes, great. We rinse and repeat, do that again. And often the answer is going to be no, in which case you're going to have to say, okay, let me go back to the drawing board iteration two. What can I change and make different to see if the second video will better help me reach my measurement of success? What you don't want to have happen is take all this time as you were talking about analysis paralysis, and you put all this time and budget into creating a video, it goes live and it doesn't get you the metric of success. And then you're so discouraged and you're like, well, I can't spend that time and money for another one that doesn't get me what the outcome I'm wanting to get. You want to start simple and simply start. And of course, you want to be proud of the content that you're putting out there, but there's a difference between being proud and feeling good about it and being a perfectionist about it. And the beautiful thing about content on social media is the more polished and the more produced is not always a good thing. Your audience often will really appreciate raw and authentic. So the barrier to entry for something like video in podcasting, blogging, content creation in general, is you have everything, if you, let me put it this way, because I know not everyone has a smartphone or a laptop, but if you, and the majority of your listeners I'm sure do, have a smartphone or a laptop, you have everything you need to literally publish today. So all, you know, to make a video, all you have to do is hit record. And obviously it's, I'm not saying that you then stay at that level forever. It's good to educate. It's good to, you know, have a resource like confidently on camera, or if there's another video expert that you look up to, great. I don't care where you get your information, but obviously educate yourself, but don't, you don't have to wait to start creating. You can educate and optimize as you go. So your first iteration may be on your smartphone, just hitting record. And then for the second iteration, you might try editing. You might try delivering it in a different way. There's a lot that you can do to obviously optimize after you get started. Absolutely. And I'm going to, uh, in the words of common, I'm going to yes and you. There's a great <laughs> book, um, the, the Startup J-Curve. And I actually apply this to life. And uh, if you haven't read it, um, I, I would encourage you to do so. Um, I think you'd love it. But the idea is, I think, like, as you're talking about these minimal viable products and, like, iterations, I think too often people also um, kind of berate themselves. And, you know, I think the, the, the key, as the, as the startup J-Curve points out, a lot of successful startups, what you can even look at Instagram or any of these kind of companies, it's like, what is the one thing that I am getting right? So rather than berate yourself of like what's not working, like what is just even a single thing that the audience actually liked um, and go after that and, you know, that, let that be the basis of your iteration versus like, oh, I suck. And to that point, um, you know, uh, I also feel like if you just put your best foot forward, it doesn't matter if you, if you don't get that victory, it's okay because you put your best foot forward. You know what I mean? You can be upset that it didn't work out, but you can't be upset that you didn't give it your all. And I think people get stuck on that. 
Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Because the most important thing is to learn so you can improve. So there's no such thing as failure, right? You just learn the lesson and then you take that lesson to the next thing and then you get to the next thing that much more quickly. So it can, it can feel like, oh, I'm not making progress because I didn't get the outcome I wanted in this scenario, but you are actually going to get it to that outcome much more quickly in the next scenario or the next. Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, the Instagram story in particular is like really fantastic, like how they like, they had, no, you know, th- there was no idea of like that, this is what they were going to do. And all of a sudden it becomes Instagram. It's fantastic. Yeah, but, you have to check out that book. Uh, but we digress. Um, kind of pivoting just slightly, um, since it was Mother's Day, and I know you are very close with your mom and she, I, uh, I don't know, I, I would talk about like the impact that your mom has had because um, I think she's a wonderful uh, woman, I've I've had the opportunity to meet her, and um, I know she's still, you know, I don't know, just a rock for you. Yeah, and I think- yeah totally. Um, yeah, she's absolutely not only been a rock, um, but my number one role model and mentor. I feel really, really thankful that I had a mom who's been such a leader and a go-getter because I grew up around that. And I think it's really important. Um, Often seeing is believing, right? And when a woman can see another powerful woman and see that she did that, that was possible for her. So it can be possible for me. That's that's really, really powerful. Um, she always taught me to follow my passion, but you know, passion alone obviously isn't enough. You have to work really hard and she's a hard worker. And I think another thing that I really admire is not only has she been a hard worker, she's always had really good work-life balance. So I feel like I had the best of both worlds growing up where not only did I have this powerful role model of a successful businesswoman, I also had a mom that was around and was available for me and we got a ton of quality of time and a lot of times she would take off during the summers and that's one of the beautiful things about entrepreneurship and something that's inspired me to be an entrepreneur is I really love my work and my business but I also really love my life <laughs> and I want to integrate the two and I don't want it to be like, oh, I hate what I do from nine to five and then I live for, you know, 5 p.m. on or I live for the weekends. I want to love my business and my life and I want to have the freedom and flexibility to live the lifestyle I want. So, you know, for example, Charlie and I have an apartment in LA and a house in Wisconsin and we go back and forth and when there's not a lockdown and And that's something I wouldn't be able to do if I didn't have the flexibility of being a digital entrepreneur. I can, you know, hop on a flight any Tuesday I want and then go out to LA in normal circumstances. So freedom and flexibility are really core values of mine. I think that's something that entrepreneurship is really conducive of and something that my mom really modeled. Yeah. So, um, you know, there's so many follow-up questions I have from that, but I guess let me start with the work-life balance idea, right? As an entrepreneur, there's not, there's not a finish line, right? You have a goal of your business and, um, you know, while I think people throw out the word like work-life balance, like to me, it's, it's, it's a requirement. It's not like this, just this ideal. 
in order for people to be successful in business or just life in general, you have to have some sort of counterbalance. Now that doesn't mean if you have like, I also think people confuse it. To me, it's like if you have a big um, convention coming up in the next three weeks, yeah, all of a sudden you might be putting a lot of effort into that. So like, you know, um, the at home stuff might have to get kind of put on the side, but then after you kind of make up for it. So it's, you know, it's, it's not always like fully like, okay, you know, I'm going to get up by 9am and you know, I'm going to have done yoga and this and this. So it's not like, that's not work-life balance to me necessarily. Um, but I think it's very key for entrepreneurs to have a work-life balance so they don't burn themselves out because basically the, the, the constant go forth mentality is just going to burn them out. And you know, maybe they can go five, six, seven, even 10 years, but eventually they're just going to keel over and be like, wow. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And you're absolutely right that it's not necessarily this Monday was perfectly balanced or this week or this month, but in totality, like when you look at, I would say a year's time, you want to make sure that you had time for both work and life and that time to rejuvenate. And I do like to make it more regular. Obviously, to your point, there's going to be seasons where you have something big coming up, like a conference or a launch, and maybe that season is going to be heavier on the work. But I try and even day to day to have more work-life balance. And I do have a morning routine where I wake up and I journal and I meditate to have calm. I try and work out every single day. Um, And those things help me re-energize And I think it's helpful, especially for the people that this makes them squeamish to think about incorporating more of their life um, versus just the work part. It is helpful to know that when you actually give more to your life and you re-energize, it's only going to help your work that much more because there is a point where there's diminishing returns. And I think it's just important to know where you fall on the spectrum of work to life. Some some people need to be working more because you know yeah. what you, you have to work hard. You know, like some people are, and, and I say this, if you have a goal, like if you have, again, you have to be aware of the reality that comes with the dream and the reality that comes with most dreams is that you do have to work hard. So if you're on the side of the spectrum where you're maybe not working hard enough, be aware of that. But then there's also the opposite extreme where sometimes people are working so hard that they're getting so burnt out and there's really diminishing returns where you're not no longer being your freshest, most creative self um, and you're not seeing the forest among the trees. So I definitely like to have that balance and make sure that I have enough white space and quiet time where I can be constantly checking in as well of what's my bigger picture and am am I on the path that I want to be on and what big ideas do I have versus just always hunkering down and being so linear, you know, in my laptop and doing the creation part. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I think, you know, you can point history like, um, uh, this is, uh, for lack of better words, like obviously gravity wasn't discovered when the apple fell, but it, it, you know, Newton wouldn't have kind of like thought of it if he wasn't underneath a tree um, and an apple fell next to him. You know what I mean? Like what the hell is he doing there? Right. That's yeah. just, that's just playtime. And so I think, 
you know, when you kind of look at it from that perspective, you can point to a lot of discoveries that happened during quote unquote play time. So I think you're absolutely mm-hmm. right. Um, I want to go back a little bit um, to, uh, to the pageant days because I think, I think it ties a lot of things together, right? So you, you highlighted uh, the impact of your mom and seeing a, uh, a woman kind of in that position. And I remember um, I, I'm lucky enough to, to work kind of with Gwyneth Paltrow and her, she was interviewing Kerry Washington and he talked about how when they were at Spence, um, you know, all the roles, it, it's an all girls school. So all the roles of like, you know, president and whatever were always filled by women. So it was not like abnormal to be like, well, you know, seeing a woman in that type of role. Um, and I, the reason that like, as far as pageants, like, um, I think there's a misconception, um, at least, at least that I've seen where it's like, okay, um, it's all about just the beauty side of it. But like, I know from your perspective and I met a lot of, um, pageant girls, like there's a lot more to it than that. So can you talk about like just dispelling the mess of that and how it actually is very beneficial in terms of confidence and, you know, whatever other aspects you want to add to it? Sure, sure. Well, I can speak from my perspective and the story behind how I then got into it and what it's done for me. So I did not grow up with pageants. That's one misconception is, you know, a lot of times on TV, you see like the honey boo-boos of the world where they grew up with pageants since they were little girls and it's what they wanted to do. And there's these extreme versions and examples of pageant women that usually are not very flattering. Um, But in my case, I did not grow up with it. I did grow up modeling and dancing. So I certainly had that performance gene in me. Um, But the reason why I stumbled upon pageants is because I knew that I wanted to be in media most likely a TV host, which as we know, came true. Um, And so I would Google uh, the different routes that women who I looked up to in TV host positions, what their background was. And so I would see people like Vanessa Manillo, now Vanessa Lachey, Maria Menounos, different women who were in these TV host positions that I wanted to be in someday. And I saw this theme of, oh, wow, a lot of these women did pageants this must be a really good platform and stepping stone to getting into the media and entertainment industry. And then because I had the modeling background and the dance background, I was like, this seems amazing. And then on top of it, you have volunteer opportunities, opportunities to speak to your community. And like you said, opportunities to grow your confidence. I was like, this is definitely the next step that I want to do. I mean, it kind of goes back to what I was talking about earlier about reverse engineering. I didn't even know it at the time, but I was reverse engineering my goal. I knew I wanted to be a TV host in the media industry. And I asked myself, okay, what steps do I need to take to get there? And I determined the next step as a 21 year old in college was that I was going to go for this pageant. And so I didn't even do what a lot of women do where they hire a coach. I actually just watched YouTube videos of how these women would walk and what kind of workouts they did and um, how they were answering interview questions. And so I prepared a lot just in a very unconventional way. I was basically self-taught through these YouTube videos and then did mock interviews with my mom and different family and friends. And so I won. I was lucky enough to actually win, which, wow, you know, that in and of itself is 
a story for another time of just how shocking and incredible it was to, to win and to have this opportunity. And I do think it absolutely served its purpose where I got all these opportunities that 21 year olds do not get. You know, I got to speak in front of large crowds. I got to volunteer and, and see the impact that I was making firsthand. And then, yeah, there's this glamorous part of it as well, where you get to go compete on the Miss USA stage. And I remember competing on that stage and being like, oh, if I could just host this pageant one day, that would be amazing. So fast forward to 2015, when I was asked to host the pageant, I mean, that was just an absolute dream come true for things to come full circle. And, you know, in, in 2009, when I was Miss Wisconsin, I didn't win the pageant, even though, of course, everyone wants to win the pageant. And at the time, it felt really heartbreaking to, to not have won. But then to fast forward to 2015, I was like, this is even better. Now it makes sense. Like this came full circle and it all worked out. And that's so much of how life does happen, right? Where one door closes, but another one opens. What's interesting. um, I was going to talk about that, what, what it was like to come full circle, but you know, obviously like the, the experience of it was so fantastic. But I remember like initially when, I mean, when you got that sort of call, you were sort of conflicted. Um, you know, this was at a time like there, there was a lot of uh, controversy kind of around Miss, uh, Miss USA. And uh, can you just, uh, you know, I, we don't have to go down too deep into it, but can you talk me through like that moment? Because like, I, th- I think it, part of, you know, my goal is to humanize people you know, and like we all have our struggles and um, I just, because I was there sort of firsthand, not through the whole process, but at least initially, I remember that our conversation. Um, I think yeah, that- yeah, absolutely. So just for context, at the time, uh, now President Trump, then Donald Trump, um, owned the pageant still. And this was when he first had announced that he was running for president And um, as is still true today, controversy was following him. And because of that, the original hosts had backed out of hosting the pageant. So when they were deciding who they wanted to ask next to host the pageant, they were thinking about, okay, we got to ask someone who, first of all, obviously is a TV host, which I am. And also somebody who isn't going to say yes or no because of their politics. They're going to want to do it at the end of the day because they have a personal story and connection to the pageant. So I was asked as a former contestant and current TV host to host the pageant. And when I got the call from my agent, my initial reaction was, hell yes. Oh my God. Like it was the best phone call I had ever received. It really was a dream come true because it, it brought me back to that moment of being on that stage as a contestant, that pageant changed my life. I mean, I'm not even, I'm not over-exaggerating that pageant changed my life. And that was the goal that I worked so hard to was to be a TV host that was seen as the stepping stone I wanted to take. So it was initially an absolute yes. And then, 
And then there's all these Twitter comments, right? Of how could you, how could you host a pageant that's owned by Donald Trump? And, um, just a lot of haters that, you know, come out of the woodwork that then all of a sudden what was an obvious yes started to feel like, am I doing the right thing? You know, it's like, and then I started to doubt myself because of all these external voices. So that was really difficult. That was very difficult to deal with the haters. It was difficult to, to, to discern what was their truth versus my truth. And at the end of the day, you know, after certainly consulting a lot of trusted advisors, including you and, and the team over there at AfterBuzz, um, I had decided that my truth was, my desire to do this pageant was just coming from the most authentic, purest place possible. And that's that I believe in that pageant and the contestants that compete on that stage because I'm one of them. And I was there and it changed my life forever. And I knew that it was going to change the life of the 51 contestants on that stage. And me doing that pageant was not about politics. It was not about supporting Donald Trump. It was not about um any other reason than wanting to support the pageant and because being a TV host was something I worked very hard towards and to be on that stage that I competed on hosting it was truly a dream come true yeah. with no, all the controversy aside. Yeah. No, I, I commend you for doing that. And, uh, cause you know, I mean, just even from the, like, when you work that hard, like, it, it, it's no fault of the women that are competing. It's like, they, they deserve to be recognized. And just because, you know, put that aside, it's, they still deserve, you know, that platform. So yeah. it's, it's fantastic that, uh, that you persevered on. Um, uh, let's talk about, so, you know, um, we, we've talked a bunch about like the, the hosting side of it in terms of, you know, entertainment news, but like, I, I, give me the timeline. So um, I remember like when you started like business rock stars and things like that. And I remember, you know, you had mentioned to me very early on of like, I'm, I'm going to be doing this thing called Empowerista. Like just, just refresh my memory of like what that timeline is and like how you got, you know, the, to those transitions. Sure. Um, so I would say that when I was out in Los Angeles, I was a freelance TV host so I would do, at the time, it was a lot of celebrity and entertainment gigs. So I was hosting for E! News Now. I was hosting ABC Red Carpets. But it was freelance, so I would have time in between. And this was, what, still 2015-ish, like right uh, there? Yeah, yeah, exactly, like 2015, 2016. And, um, and in the time in between, it it goes back to what we were talking about earlier of how the lands, the digital landscape was changing the media industry. And there were content creators that were building platforms that were bigger than some of the platforms that I wanted to work for. And so I decided to take a more active versus passive role instead of constantly waiting for a digital platform or a TV network to hire me. I decided in between gigs, I was going to build my own platform. Mm -hmm. So I built Empowerista first 
And because of being an entrepreneur and a content creator myself, business rock stars took note. They actually first started out by interviewing me. That's how that was my introduction to business rock stars is they interviewed me as an entrepreneur. And then um, they had a hosting up and they had remembered that I was an entrepreneur and a host. And so that's when I auditioned to be the host for Business Rockstars and the rest is history. And I still do hosting for them as well. Um, not quite as regularly now that I'm going back and forth between LA and Milwaukee, but I am a host still for Business Rockstars to this day. Yeah. What would, um, just curious, like top three um, and they don't even have to be like the absolute top three, just top, top three that come to mind of like advice that you've learned by doing the, the business interviews that you have. Ooh. Um, okay. So a big theme that comes up is knowing your audience mm-hmm. and I think, or customer, you know, entrepreneurs would more often call you know, refer to customers, knowing your customers, but for content creators listening, it would be knowing your audience or your desired audience, because so often we're just talking at people versus really understanding who we're talking to and meeting them where they're at, um, being relatable to them. Chloe wants to be on top. Come here. This is the uh, pitfalls of of doing live shows from home. Here's Chloe. There. Oh, so cute. Um, But yeah, please go ahead, continue. Um, So I was just saying, um, I think it's really important to understand, and specifically as an entrepreneur, entrepreneurs solve problems. So as it relates to customers, I guess the point two that I'll make is understanding what problem do you solve? Mm -hmm. That's a really, really big thing. And then I think the third thing is, is, okay, once you know your audience, once you know what problem you solve, how do you communicate that? And so I think that's where marketing comes into play. Of You can have the best product ever. You can know who your customer is, but until you can reach them, it doesn't really do you much good. And that's why I would say building an audience and doing that by creating content is one of the best things that you can do as an entrepreneur. Absolutely. Um, yeah, makes sense. Um, is there, is there anything else that you want to touch upon while, um, you have this captive audience that, that you think perhaps I might've missed, but in terms of uh, any of the, I don't know, just anything. <laughs> sure. Well, I mean, knowing that your audience is content creators, I would say that I can't emphasize enough how I think video is one of the best content platforms. A lot of times, especially women, it, it can be tempting to want to just 
post a pretty photo and, and include an emoji. But I think it's really, really important to, uh, to really look within and ask yourself, what value can I give? What's my unique perspective and my point of view? And I define value as typically falling under one of three categories. Um, you either educate, you entertain, or you inspire. So really understanding which one you are, uh, knowing who your audience is again. And a lot of times what's helpful is to ask yourself, what's my niche? <laughs> and it's related to what problem do I solve? Because a lot of times people want to solve general problems but people have specific problems, right? And so for example, like if you're a fashion blogger, mm -hmm. it can be um, very tempted to, tempting to stay really, really general and, and maybe just talk about how to find your style, you know? But what's way more powerful is to niche down and understand your audience and understand what are the things that they're actually struggling with? Is it um, how to dress for your body type? Is it how to dress for working from home? Um, and then finding a format that can really deliver that value. So podcasting, video production, long form blogging, those are great formats that can give a tremendous amount of value to your audience. And therefore you're going to establish that likability, that familiarity, and that trust. That's really, really important for not only attracting new viewers, listeners, viewers, but also making sure that they keep coming back week after week because um, you know going back to what I think sometimes is the pitfall of just trying to do the easy I'm gonna post a pretty photo and an emoji you have to really ask yourself who are you serving are you are are you at the end of the day creating the type of content that's going to attract new people and keep them coming back for more. So to that point, um, kind of curious from your perspective, what's the fine line between being salesy and adding true value? You know, like in a lot of ways, like I feel like I just made you regurgitate your entire book right now. <laughs> no, no. But you know what I mean? And, but you you did it willingly and things like that. Like you, you, you held nothing back with this interview and like all the content that I've seen you post. So, you know, like, where's that fine line of at the end of the day, you still want to push them towards something, um, but, it, but you don't want to do it too, I don't know, salesy. Yeah, well, I've, I'll start with this. Don't be afraid to give away your best stuff for free. So there's, there's no, for, for, for example, my book that you brought up, there's no individual section that I wouldn't talk about on this podcast for free. What a person pays for is to get all the content together in the correct order. <laughs> and, and so they can take a strategic step-by-step -step process that streamlines things and saves them time. There's nothing in this world that doesn't already exist on the internet. <laughs> yeah. It's just that when you 
pay for a, when you pay for information, you're saving yourself time because it's um, organized and streamlined. And you're also choosing to learn from a specific person. So that's why a personal brand becomes so much, so important because there's so much information out there, right? You can, anything that you're, if you're wanting to learn how to be an influencer, right? There are hundreds of people that can teach you how to do that. But at the end of the day, you're going to teach, you're going to choose the teacher that you connect with most, and that resonates the most with you. So the only distinguishing factor is literally the person, the personal brand. So um, to answer your question, I think that you don't want to be leading with sales content. You want to be leading with education. You want to show, not tell. If you have something to teach, demonstrate that teach them. And then you invite them to take the next step with you. So for example, just to demonstrate what I'm talking about, I shared a lot of what's in my book today, right? And there's nothing I wouldn't, any individual piece that I wouldn't have shared on this podcast. But if you want steps one through five, and you want it in order, and you want it all readily available, then I invite you to purchase the book. And so really, it's just giving that get value, giving that value freely, and then letting people know where they can take that next step with you. Yeah. And I think, I think that's the key component, right? So, uh, you know, you work, you know, one-on-one -on -one with clients or um, in that sense. And, and like for, for my money's worth, I kind of view it in that same way. Like there's only such a base level that I can kind of like, I'm always willing to put out my best foot forward. Mm -hmm. But like, you know, just for the sake of argument, let's say you were a client of mine, like you're going to have your own individual needs that I can never cover necessarily. Mm -hmm. And so it's that individual value that like, then I'm putting my thinking cap on and, and delivering for you specifically. Um, yeah, we've all been on the consumer side of that. Like there have been um, podcasts I've listened to of my podcast mentors where they're teaching me something that's so valuable. Like, I mean, I would pay for that episode, you know, because it's so valuable. But at the end of the day, I would still pay more to have a one-on-one -on -one session with them because there are certain things that apply to everybody, but then I want to be like, okay, but what about for somebody like me that has X, Y, and Z circumstances? So you're absolutely correct that another way um, in order, in, in addition to saving time and organizing it for people in your paid products is also the individualization component. So that's a really big thing for one-on-one -on -one service providers is yeah. that maybe your the only distinguishing factor between your free content and your paid services is just that you can individualize for your paid clients. Yeah. So final question. Uh, I'm a big advocate of like, it's, you, you can have all the right tactics and whatever else, the, the, the skills, but none of it's going to matter if you don't have the right mindset. Um, I call it mental fortitude. So uh, I don't know what, what's a recent book or your favorite book perhaps that like, you know, uh, you, you sort of turn to, um, in the self-help 
self-help uh self-help is such a broad term but like in that category of books like what what's been the most beneficial or the most recent you've read um so well a book that i'm reading right now is the untethered soul that has michael singer yeah yeah really really loving just the the concept is really understanding and watching your thoughts um, but as far as like a holy grail book, like what's one that I would recommend every entrepreneur get and come back to, um, The Artist's Way. Have you heard of The Artist's Way? I have not. Who's it by? I, I've heard of it, I think, but who's well, it by? I, is her name Julie Cameron? Um, here, let me Google it for you real quick. Yes. Um, um, yeah, so they, I, I, I think I'm getting it confused because there's, there's the, the War of Art by Stephen Pressfield, but yeah, that's different. That okay, the artist's way is Julia Cameron. It's called the Artist's Way: A Spiritual Path to Higher Creativity, and it really, really helps. You know, I need to revisit it. It's been a couple of years since I've read it, but it really talks about thinking through the terms of possibilities. And one thing that she talks about that Charlie and I reference all the time is how a lot of times people will have shadow careers where they don't feel like it's possible to have the career that they want. So they choose something that kind of emulates it, but it's, it's a different version of it. So um, she, she talks about morning pages a lot. A lot of celebrities will reference morning pages and they're referencing this book. So morning pages basically is just a fancy term for journaling and making sure that you're getting all of your thoughts onto paper so you can be aware of like all those subconscious fears and stuff holding you back. And I think that's a big thing. Like from all the books that I've read and I've become a huge podcast junkie, I could talk podcasts all day, but I think one of the biggest self-help themes when it comes to mindset is just really having that awareness of what your thoughts and beliefs are so you can decide whether or not they're hurting and hindering you or they're helping you because we can manage our thoughts and beliefs and we want to make sure that we have the awareness over them so that we can shift them to help us and to I mean that's we can generate our own confidence and our own drive but first we have to be aware of that and and that's why so many entrepreneurs and successful people do have things like morning routines where they meditate and they journal and they're all these other fancy tools but it all comes back to a very simple process or or concept I should say and that is just making sure that you're taking time to center yourself ground yourself understand yourself and part of that is understanding to your point your mind so you're not holding yourself back absolutely well it has been a pleasure I've taken up enough of your time thank you for being so gracious and uh, it was just great on a personal level to catch up with you I wish you and Charlie the best um so, yeah. yeah, thank you. It was so good to see you and thank you for all of your support. And this was so fun to do. And I'm so excited for you and everything that you've built. It's been really, really fun to watch what you've been doing and to now be a part of it. Absolutely. Well, confidently on camera.com is where you can get the book. And then um, what's the what's the best place to kind of keep in touch with you with what social media? 
Instagram is the platform I'm on the most. So find me at Alex Worley. Last name's a little tricky to spell. W-E-H-R-L-E-Y. Come find me, direct message me. I always get back to direct messages. So let's chat on there. And of course, you can listen to the Empower Easter podcast everywhere. Podcasts can be found and get the book, as you said, at confidentlyoncamera.com. Thank you.